Over the past several months, we have been walking through the book of Luke, and I hope you, like I have, have found it valuable to be able to see the perspective of the whole book, looking at the life of Jesus from that angelic message to Mary about her son, to his birth, to his, his baptism, seeing his public ministry, seeing his power through healing people, seeing the power of the Son of God as he forgives sins in people's lives. In the book of Luke, we've, we've learned Jesus' teaching. We've seen his purpose toward sharing the gospel. And we see how the truth of Jesus confronts the false teachings or even the religious leaders of the day that were not proclaiming God's truth. And we see Jesus teaching his followers, preparing them to continue his ministry and mission for the time when he is no longer going to be with them in person, preparing us as well to serve him. As we move through the book of Luke, Jesus has continued his ministry. And I know Pastor Kevin has mentioned this as it, the last, as we come towards the end of that, the last number of chapters, Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. And as Ken prayed, because of his love for us, he knew what he was about to face, a sacrifice, a crucifixion on the cross for us, for our sin, so that we could have a way to have a relationship with him. Now, Luke and, Luke and Acts, uh, the two books, some of my favorite books in the New Testament, and as I was preparing for today, I took, a, I took a look back at the first verses in the book of Luke that remind us why this book was written. And I felt like it was good for me to do that. So let's just take a moment, turn to Luke chapter 1, and then we'll, we'll read our, our passage just in a little bit. But let me read just the first four verses for us. It says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things or events that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In regards to verse 1, I, I like what commentator David Garland wrote. He wrote, the events or the things are not simply occurrences. They are matters of salvation history. And he goes on to say that these are not just events in which God is active, but those that God brings to completion. Another commentator writes, Luke signals his understanding that the events that he will narrate are related to God's purpose. And at the end of those verses, he goes on to say that it's, it's written so that he could have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So it's much more than just knowing about Christ's life or, or the events, but knowing with certainty, with confidence about the, the teachings of Christ, the things that Christ taught and, and the things that have been handed on to Theophilus and, and handed on to us, that we can have certainty and confidence in them 
that that is God's word, his truth. And as we walk through the book, it's more than just a series of a lesson or an event or something like that, but as we put it in the context of the Bible, it is God's story, part of his story from the Old Testament into the New Testament to the end of the Bible. It's God's story revealing himself to us, telling us his love for us. And now in, in the book of Luke, he's been, we've been studying revealing himself to us through his son, Jesus. And today we pick up that story, we pick up God's story in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. So as I read that passage, will you stand with me in reverence to God's word as we read these verses? Verse 9 in Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in our lives today. God, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. Lord, each of us through the week and the upcoming week have different concerns or different things on our mind. But again, as Pastor Ken prayed, God, that we can just give those to you. And I pray that your spirit would be at work in, in teaching us what you would want us to learn, that we can draw closer to you and become more like you and be transformed to be more like you and be your witnesses in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we dive into the passage um, in your bulletin, I just, just a little outline, just let me share that with us. I titled today's sermon, Righteousness. It's about righteousness. We'll see different forms of that. Um, verses 9 and 10 will just be a bit of an introduction. Verse 11 and 12, we'll see the self-righteousness of one. And 18 through 13, or verse 13, we'll see how one, uh, the tax collector recognizes his unrighteousness. And verse 14, we'll see Christ's righteousness proclaimed. And this isn't on your, on your outline, but I just encourage you just to write it in as another point. Just put takeaways. What does God want me to learn from today? And as we're walking through this, if God speaks to you, put it down. Write it down. What is, how does God want us to learn and how, how does he want us to grow? Well, let's jump right in. Verse 9, 
starts by saying, he also told this parable. So in this setting um, of the parable that Pastor Kevin spoke on last week and this one, it it seems like it could have been taught either at the same time or, or close to the same time. It feels like just in that he also told this parable, it feels like it could be just continuing to teach. And Jesus told this parable. He introduces us to the recipients of that parable. And unlike other passages that we've looked at where he said, he told his disciples or he talked to the Pharisees or he talked to this person, this is more to a a group. Um, A little bit more broadly, this parable is pointed to. It's the people depending on themselves for righteousness. So Luke is writing, Jesus told this parable to the people that are depending on themselves for righteousness. I'm not a a Greek scholar, but as I read a commentary from R.C.H. Lenski on this verse, he wrote this, it's to the people that have been trusting in themselves and continue to do so. It was part of their life, part of their dependence. They were convinced that they had God's verdict in their favor, but the only ground on which they were resting was themselves. So that's who this parable is written to. And like others, it really hits a matter of the heart, showing the attitude of these people. What is it that they're trusting in? What is it that they're depending on? to have a right relationship with God for their righteousness, for their forgiveness. And again, in verse 9, it said, it's themselves and what they have done and what they do. I think this question we can ask ourselves as we walk through the passage today, what am I trusting in for my righteousness? What am I trusting in for a right relationship with God? Is it what I've done or what I do? Or is it what God has done, what Christ has done? And I'd probably add just a note there. It says, what am I trusting in to grow in my relationship with Jesus? Am I trusting that, oh, if I do all these things, then I'll grow in my relationship? Or, again, is it what Christ is doing in my life and what he has done in my life? As we move to verse 10, Jesus introduces us to the two people that he will use in this parable to to teach us. So he tells us they went up to the temple to pray. That would not be an uncommon um, activity at that time. There were times of regular hours for public prayer in the temple, and this could have been one of them. So they went up to the temple to pray. Now, the first person we see was a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious leaders, teachers who would strive to keep the law in its fullest. They even made their own laws or expectations of themselves and others so that they would not even get close to breaking the law. If God's law was here, they would say, well, then we're going to set the bar over here. And they expected others to follow them and follow the laws that they made. 
And it seemed they were always at the ready to call out others they felt were not following the laws, God's laws, as they did. The other person, a tax collector, also a Jew, tax collector would collect taxes for the Roman government, who was in control of the area, and they would oftentimes collect more than what was required. And they would pocket the extra, give whatever they had to to the Roman government, and they were really seen as people that betrayed their own, robbing their own to make themselves rich. The Pharisee and the tax collectors, almost really two extremes in that Jewish, Jewish culture. One, you know, a, a religious leader, the other considered kind of a, a robber. You didn't really want to associate with them at all. And one commentator writes this, we are allowed to enter with these men to see and to hear all that reveals them in these are, as they are. And in these verses, Jesus uses the example of these two. But the lesson, this parable, is really for anyone who thinks like them, who lives like them, who acts like them. It's not limited to a Pharisee and a tax collector. But who has hearts like they do? In verse 11, we read, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You know, in those words, can we really see the, the heart of this man? One by his posture and, and one by his prayer. You can almost picture this in your, in your mind's eye. If he walks in, probably his head held high, looking for the place of prayer. Where's the place that people will see me? Where's the place that will give the most honor to me? Where's the place that people might hear me as I pray? That's where I'm going to go, just headed for that spot, standing by himself, almost really separating himself from, from everybody else. He finds his place of prayer. Like I said, in verse 11, it says he's standing by himself. And his heart continues to be revealed through his prayer. He begins by thanking God, but it quickly turns to be all about himself as he prays, God, I thank you. I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Thank you that I'm, I'm not like that. Now, let me say this. It's not wrong to thank the Lord for keeping us or saving us for taking a wrong path or rescuing us from a wrong path in life. That's a good thing, to thank him, realize what he's done for us. But that's not what this man did. He turned it to himself. After thanking God, he focused on himself, that I am not like that. I don't act that way, like the extortioners or unjust or adulterers. He holds himself in high regard, self-righteous, better than others, looking down on them and who they are and what they did. 
as he continues his prayer, I'm not sure if he looked across the temple court or caught a glimpse of the tax collector that was standing near to him, but evidently it appears he sees them and he adds to his list, Lord, I thank you I'm not like these other men. And you can almost hear in his voice um, as well, I'm not like these other men or even like this tax collector. If you read through the Gospels, many times you see the Pharisees criticizing Jesus. Why? He goes to eat with sinners and tax collectors. How dare he do that? He can't be of God if he eats with them. But here again, this Pharisee sees this tax collector. Thank you, I'm not like these men or even this tax collector. And then he launches into his list of accomplishments. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Again, in and of themselves, fasting or or giving tithes, they're practices or disciplines that can help us grow in our Christian walk, help us grow in our faith in the Lord. For example, fasting can help us when seeking the Lord for a big decision or preparing to serve him. Tithing can help us learn to be faithful stewards of what God has given to us or provided for us, and we can learn to depend on him. But the Pharisee, he does not point any of those practices to God, but seems to make sure that he lets others know he goes above and beyond what is even required by God's law in fasting and tithing. He uses these as his credit. I'm not like these others. I fast twice a week. I tithe everything, a percent of everything. I'm not like them. This is what I do. And I think the quote we read from Lenski earlier sums up the picture of this Pharisee. Convinced they had God's verdict in their favor, but the only ground on which they were resting was themselves. Now, in contrast, we see the tax collector in verse 13. It says this, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Like the Pharisee, we see the heart of the tax collector through his posture, through his prayer, And the tax collector enters the temple. And again, in our mind's eye, he doesn't look for that place of honor. He doesn't try to get in front of everybody and be at the the, um, front of the area of the temple or anything like that. But instead, as as he walks in, he stood far off. Again, you almost get the picture. He's just like, I just, I want to just be alone. I hope... Not not that he's hoping that others don't see him, but he just wanted to have that time with God. So he stood far off. He didn't try to get right up in front where others would see him or hear him or, or put him in a place of honor. Maybe even looking for a place where he wouldn't even be noticed. Now, in various passages of Scripture, 
as, as Jesus or others were praying, often says they lifted their eyes to heaven as they prayed. They lifted their eyes to heaven. But here in contrast to that, what do we see the tax collector? He would not even lift up his eyes as he came in. Just, you could see his, the posture of his body, just downcast. One of, of feeling shame, humility, not because he was a tax collector, but I believe because he recognized the sin. He was convicted of the sin in his life. God's word had brought that to him. And the verse goes on to tell us he was beating his breast. And we sometimes read things like that in scripture, but it really showed his great sorrow for his sin. And as I was looking at that, he just didn't, a couple of times, it it gave the um, picture that it was continuously as he was praying, just because of the sorrow that he had in his life, his shame for his sin. And I believe that posture showed, and his prayer showed that contrite heart before God. I looked up the word contrite just so I could make sure that I was communicating that correctly. But one of the meanings, it says this, filled with a sense of guilt and the desire for atonement. The example they used in a sentence was a contrite sinner. And in Psalm 51, as David concludes his prayer of confession, asking God's forgiveness because of his sin, he ends that in verses 16 and 17, and I don't, I don't believe that'll be up on the screen, but in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, say this, as David is in his, at his prayer of confession. For you, God, will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. As I think of that, to me, it paints a picture of that tax collector, doesn't it? A broken and contrite heart. A broken spirit. Not because God is is punishing him or anything like that, but because he recognized his unrighteousness He recognized his sin and knew that he needed a savior. As the tax collector prays, it doesn't seem that he cares who is around him or if they're even looking at him or hearing him as he brought his confession, as he recognizes his sin, his unworthiness, his unrighteousness in his life. He knows his need for forgiveness and simply cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, show me your mercy. Again, one commentator, just a couple of things that just stood out to me. I just thought it was said so well. True contrition is always expressed by honest confession. And I think we see that in the posture and the prayer of this tax collector. But in his prayer, the tax collector is asking for more than just 
compassion or treat me kindly. As I prepared for that, I looked closer at that verse, and I had a footnote in my Bible that the Greek word for merciful here that is used, it can also be translated propitiate. Asking God to make propitiation for his sin or, or to make appeasement or atonement for his sin. He is asking God's forgiveness. Lord, make a way so that I can have that right relationship with you. He knew the sacrifices of the Old Testament, sacrifice of atonement. As a Jew, I'm sure he knew the promised Messiah that would come. He was asking for God's forgiveness, for his atonement. And he was putting his trust in God and his word and his promises, not in himself. And Jesus concludes this parable in verse 14 with his response, his declaration that the tax collector went home forgiven, justified, or made righteous in God's eyes, not because of anything that he had done, but because of what God had done in contrast to the Pharisee and others who base their righteousness on themselves and what they have done or what they do, trusting in themselves rather than God and the promised Christ, rather than God's promises. Verse 14 says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The end of verse 14, I think, is pretty self-explanatory in the context of this verse that, that says that, that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If the one, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, self-explanatory. Not much be said. But let me use a quote from uh, Lenski again on this verse. I like the way he ends this. How can God pour anything into a full vessel? If they're trusting in themselves, how can God pour anything into that? But the one that God's law or God's word convicts and, and empties of their sin, God's grace can and does fill. How can God pour anything into a full vessel. But the one that God's word empties, his grace can and does fill. As we put our, our faith and trust in God and, and seek his grace and his forgiveness, God will fill us with that. Let's wrap up with just a couple of takeaways for today. First, I would, I would say, if God has been using our time today, whether through the music, through prayer, through this passage, and he's been touching your heart, maybe it doesn't have anything related to do with this verse, but maybe he's called to mind something. I would say, write that down on that note, on that takeaway. What is God calling you to do? What steps does he want you to take in that area of your life, whatever that might be. 
And then let me ask you a question, a few questions or a couple things related to our passage today. The same question we asked as we started. What is it that you're depending on for your righteousness, for your relationship with God? What is it that you are depending on, trusting in, for the forgiveness of sin and having a right relationship with him? Is it like the Pharisee? I go to church. I help serve. I give. Again, those are not bad things. In fact, they're good things and we're called to do them, but not for salvation, but as a part of the body of Christ. What is it that you're depending on? Or maybe it's like the tax collector today, recognizing the sin in our lives. Recognizing, like Romans says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Realizing our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus, and to put our faith and trust in Him because of what He did on the cross, that He gave His body, shed His blood so that our sins could be forgiven. If that's where you're at today, like the tax collector, call out to Jesus. Repent of your sins and ask him for forgiveness to be your savior. Let your faith rest on what he's done on the cross, not what we do. And if you put your faith in Christ as believers, we, we too at times need to guard our heart against pride. Even as I was preparing this at times and maybe as you've been listening I'd be going like, man, I'm glad I'm not like that Pharisee, right? Am I doing the same thing? Yeah. Glad I'm not like that. Instead of, God, thank you for saving me. Help me to learn or grow, whatever God's doing in your life. But we need to guard our heart against that pride and, and against even leaning on our own accomplishments. I've trusted Christ, but... Lord, I, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do that. Again, good things. Not questioning that, but why are we doing those? To serve him, to be a witness for him. So just remind us to guard against pride in our lives. As I was thinking about that, I was, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul in the book of um, Philippians in chapter 3. Uh, Paul talks about his life and, um, you know, that like verse 7 says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. But just before that, Paul goes on, if anybody had reason to boast, it would be me. Listen to some of the things that, that he says about, about that. Although I myself might have confidence, even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind, uh, to put confidence in the flesh, I for more, far more. As a Jew, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. And then he goes, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And a couple verses later, I'll just read a couple other little uh, parts here. In verse 9, he goes on, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And then in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the, in 12, he says, I've not obtained it. In verse 14, he says, I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul even, he could boast in all that he had done, but he's saying, no, that's not what it's about. It's about faith in Christ Jesus. It's about trusting in him. And I press on in that walk. I press on in that faith to trust him, to grow in him, to be used by him. And I just ask that that be our prayer. Again, if God is tugging at your heart, like maybe that tax collector today, call out to him. God hears those prayers. Be a part of his family because of what he's done. And just seek God to grow in him. And like Paul said, to press on to grow in our walk with him, to let him continue to shape and mold and transform our lives for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for your truth. God, I just ask that as we look at that, God, that it just wouldn't be gone when we get home today and have dinner. But Father, I pray that if there's things that you want us to do in our lives, to grow closer to you, to change, to bring before you, to confess before you. Father, I pray that you would continue to point those out in our lives, to bring those before us, that we can bring those to you and grow in our, in our walk, in our relationship with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.